I'm Elnaz. And I'm Matt. You're listening to Unorthodox Middle Easterners. Together with our guests, we share untold stories of the Middle East. Hi, Merit. We are here with our third episode. Hi, Elnaz. So I'm excited to today's episode, especially that we are talking more about a current topic. So we agreed in our uh, beginning of our podcast that we will be talking about our stories and comparing it to uh, our lives in the U.S. and the Middle East and how that impacted our growth and our journey in general during our life. Uh, But we cannot isolate ourselves from current topics or things that are happening around us. And there is a big campaign happening today, and it is uh, spreading really fast in different parts of the Middle East, especially in Iran, in Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan, uh, especially with the last uh, sudden pullout of the U.S. troops in from uh, Afghanistan and the imbalance in power that happened recently that impacted mainly women. There is, as I said, this movement that started, and you are involved in that movement, so I'm going to give you the floor and, you know, ask you to tell us about what's going on. Let us talk. Thanks, Vert. Yes, let us talk. The campaign is actually called Let Us Talk. It's going on on Twitter with this with this hashtag. And there's some movements on Facebook as well because there's a lot of Iranians on Facebook. And it kind of started with a tweet um, by Masi Ali Najad, an Iranian journalist and activist who works um, against compulsory hijab uh, for some time now. And she published a photo of herself uh, wearing a hijab. She's four or five years old, really small, alongside a recent photo of, of herself without a hijab. And um, the, the tweet uh, reads as such. In Iran, I was told if I don't wear hijab, I get kicked out of uh, from school, I get jailed, lashed, beaten up, and kicked out of my country. In the West, I'm told sharing my story will cause Islamophobia. I'm a woman from the Middle East, and I'm scared of Islamic ideology. Let us talk. And this went on fire. Like a lot of Iranian women, a lot of from Afghanistan, started publishing the same dual photo, one one with a scarf, and you see people ranging from like four or five years old to people older, um, with another photo of how they look like. And what these people are saying is like this was not my true self. The picture of, of, of with the hijab was something I was forced to, um, to be like that. And if you want to see a real me, it's the picture without the hijab. And um, some of these came from, um, you know, countries where we have Islamic governments like Iran, and as you mentioned, Afghanistan, which um, Afghan women are going through a terrible time uh, right now with the uh, Taliban taking over. Uh, but some of these tweets came from women who belong to uh, belong to Muslim countries in in Canada and U.S. and they said they have been through similar oppressions and they would like to share their stories. 
hijab has been become a very very sensitive topic in the recent years talking about hijab has been become like walking out eggshells especially in western media because people of are afraid of being labeled as uh, Islamophobic. So let us talk basically pushes back against us and says, we have a lived experience with this. Let us talk, let us share experience. Please listen to us, don't censor us. One particular uh, incident that I want to mention and kind of precedent to uh, start of this campaign was a letter by a doctor, by a Canadian doctor um, who was a pediatrician surgeon and pediatric surgeon. And she wrote a letter to Medical Association um, Journal of Canada uh, because they had published an article, and the article had an um, image of two girls, um, five, six-year-old, one with, with the hijab and one without the hijab. And the reason they did like, oh, we want to, you know, be inclusive. So they had published the image of this girl with the hijab. And he wrote a letter to them, said, please do not advertise hijab because this is a tool of oppression. And he received a lot of backlash, so much backlash that the journal actually uh, took back the letter and um, and apologized. And I want to read some of the uh, comments that people wrote about the letter. And, and to me, these are really, really aggressive. It's one thing for people to have dangerous xenophobia views that equate women's clothing to extremists. It's another for a publication like the Canadian Medical Association Journal uh, to run it, uh, someone said. And then... Um, Another person said, the letter's title suggests that the hijab is unequivocally an instrument of oppression. That is wrong, hurtful, and offensive. I take full responsibility for the headline. As an editor, I know the power of words, and that is my error. So just as a small thing, just small criticism by a doctor, received a heavy backlash, received labels. And this is um, heartbreaking for me as a someone who grow in an Islamic country and who experienced living with, with hijab for 20 years um, to see this kind of backlash. And we can um, probably get into it in a little bit more uh, of uh, what it meant for us. And for me, um, there, there are two things here. It's, yes, I'm kind of agree with this doctor that hijab is a tool of oppression as from my point of view, and I should be able to voice that as a, a minority of, of Middle East. And I think that's that's part of our campaign of let us talk, do not censor us. So what I'm understanding is this campaign started to raise awareness against uh, compulsory hijab that or like forcing women to wear hijab, whether it's happening by the government in countries like Iran and uh, Afghanistan, or it is in other Islamic countries that is forced by the society. And there is a backlash for people from people who think that criticizing this or voicing this would be uh, like disrespectful or against uh, the faith. Exactly. But I think what makes our podcast unique is we are talking about our stories. And I think as a woman who lived in Iran and, and as an adult who you lived in Iran, like some part of your adult life as well, you have the right to respond to that and you have the right to talk about your experience and share your experience about what happened when you were growing up, what happened when you were forced to uh, like wear hijab or headscarf when you had to go to first grade, basically. 
Yeah, and even earlier than that, Mert, I, you know, I have a brother who's uh, one year younger than me. So we kind of grew up together. And, you know, we played together, you know, we had same stuff. And then there comes an age that, um, you know, we're going to take, I think this starts with a passport photo um, of us and my, you know, we were not old enough to get a passport, but there's a picture of us, my mom's passport. And I have to wear a scarf over my head, my head, and he hasn't. And like, you know, it starts there. And I was like, why? Why do I have to cover my my hair? And we are just like five or six. There's nothing sexual about us at that point. And still my my hair is sexualized in that age. And it, mm-hmm. it goes on in my life. Like I starting seven, I have to wear a scarf and going to school. Um, if I don't wear it, I cannot go to school. So I cannot get an education without wearing a scarf. I cannot go to the university. Basically, in the public, anywhere I am, I have to wear the scarf. I could be um, arrested if I don't wear it. Actually, I was arrested once in Iran for not wearing a scarf. We were on vacation in, in Ahwaz, in one of the, I, I'm sure you know where it is, in the southern part of Iran. And mm-hmm. on, we were on vacation with a bunch of friends. We were going out for a walk. So there's this beautiful road in the middle of nowhere, green on both sides. And... Um, nobody's on the road. So we decide the girls on that are together, it was two of us, we took our scarves off and we are just walking along the road and a car passes by and they see us and apparently they reported us. So about um, 20 minutes later, a truck comes by um, and then they tell us that we have to go with them. Uh, why we have to go with you? They're like, you were walking unveiled on the side of the road and we don't want to go with them, but they had guns. And they are pointing the guns at us. So we have no other choice but to go with them. So they took us to a little cell. They let us there. And eventually, after, like, negotiating with them, I was like, oh, we, you know, we're um, good kids. You know, how this goes, you're good kids. And they're like, okay, okay, you have to sign an agreement that you will never mm-hmm. do this again. And they let us go. But um, officially, the law says that I could be lashed up to 72 times for taking my scarf off. And I could be put to jail uh, from um, two days to 60 days for just walking without the hijab. And um, I do <laughs> have nightmares of this, even when I after I moved to the States, because there was this um, woman, this guard, who was at the entrance of our university. And every day when I went to university, she would look at my dressing and she would decide if my dressing is Islamic enough for me to enter the university. So I would have any chance of, you know, today I might miss a class, today I might miss an exam, you know, with that fear going to the to the school. And, and I, I think, like, the story that you mentioned about you working in the middle of nowhere and then uh, a random person passing by and finding the right in themselves to report you to the government mm-hmm. that women walking in, in a random place in the middle of nowhere unveiled and this is a problem. And... That is, in my opinion, that is society oppression. Yeah. It yeah. starts with society oppression, then it goes to government oppression. Yeah. And they both feed each other. Mm-hmm. And actually, the government, you know, publicly says that it's every citizen's responsibility to say something when they say a woman walking on whale. So it's not just morality police. Iran spends thousands of dollars on morality police that their job is 
specifically and only exclusively is to um, arrest people who are not wearing hijab or who might eat food in Ramadan. But apart from that, it, it's encouraging all the citizens to do the same thing. And you know what happens if, if a woman is walking anywhere, there's a chance that some random passerby and says, hey, why are you doing this? And, and, and there's a lot of videos coming from Iran who kind of shows this and you you see you see just random people following girls you know i i've seen a video of 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 somebody who like tailgating somebody on highway on 100 miles 100 kilometers per hour and then saying hey stop you're not wearing a hijab behind your wheel well the the thing about here is like what fascinates me is that government has a budget and mm-hmm. has a law enforcement that's their job is just who wears hijab or not, who eats in Ramadan or not. Actually, I have a personal story. I was in Iran in Ramadan one time, past like years ago. And uh, we were traveling. And if you are traveling, you are exempt from fasting, according to the Islamic laws. And me and my dad, all the restaurants were closed. And uh, we went and we got like basically like some type of snacks. And we were eating snacks in the park, just sitting in the corner, me and my dad. Mm-hmm. And there's this man walks towards us, and we were in Tabriz, so like in, in the north. And neither me or my dad speak Persian. So he walks to us and he starts speaking in Persian to us. And we have no idea what he's saying. And the what came out of that was that he said, No one can see you eating if even if you are traveling. You have to go, there's a tree behind the tree. You eat in a way that no one sees you because that will encourage people to eat. So there is like, you op- like there's one level of oppression there. Okay. The second level is like, Tabriz is a city was like, basically 95% of the people speak Turkish. And he knew that we don't speak uh, Persian. And just, he kept trying to like, force law on us in Persian and we have no clue what's going on. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, so what did we do? So this is something that I experienced myself through during a trip. But like, this is just to like be clear to our uh, like listeners, especially the ones who are from the West or from the U.S. There is a government budget in Iran dedicated to make sure that women wear their headscarves and people don't eat outside or like people don't eat in public in one month of the year so there's a budget for that exactly there's budget and there's a severe clampdown there are five iranian women who are part of a campaign who worked against compulsory hijab and all five of them are in prison mojgana keshavars she got the least sentence and she was sentenced to five years and there are four other women there are two mother of daughter, Sabah Kordafshari, which when she was sentenced, she was only 19 years old and she, they sentenced her to 24 years. Eventually they reduced it to nine years, but still a lot. Her mother is in prison. And then another um, woman, Yasaman Aryani, um, she was sentenced to seven and a half years and her mother is also in prison because she defended her daughter. And all they did was they went to Tehran's uh, subway on March 8th, on Women's Day. They gave uh, flowers to women who were wearing hijab saying, you know, we are your sisters. Uh, we respect you wanting to wear this, but we don't want to wear this. And this is the other aspect, this is the side of this, that we really want women in the West to be aware of that some women in Iran are serving long sentences in jail just because they are opposing a compulsory job. You know, that's like 
uh, I, I really appreciate you sharing this story. And like, I think I can compare it with my experience in Iraq, although I never had to wear a headscarf, clearly. Because uh, <laughs> you have no hair. I have no <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> no, you're you're a man, so you don't have to wear a hijab. But but do tell well, in Iraq or in other countries, there is no the government doesn't force women to wear hijab. But that's there's another level of oppression which is uh, the society oppression or the society forcing girls. Like when I was in college, there was group of like uh, extremist Muslims uh, or like Muslim groups, whatever you would like to call them, like whatever we call them, someone is going to be offended anyway. So like there was groups of students, male students who will go in the school and give CDs to girls about like wear hijab, cover your face, do this, do that, so that you will be with us in heaven. And or there was like would be group, group, like groups of these guys who like go and talk to them and try to convince them, like, why are you not wearing hijab? And one step behind that, that is like the really, like when I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of it when I was uh, like younger, but like now is the trying to convert non-Muslims to Islam and having these type of co- uncomfortable conversations with them and asking non-Muslim girls to wear hijab as well. This is what happened. Like Mosul is one of the cities in Iraq that was, you know, under ISIS's control for close to three years. Uh, even before ISIS, Christian female students in Mosul University after uh, 2003, after the war, when like things went really out of control in that area, Christian female uh, students, they had to wear headscarves in, in college. Not because the government asked them, mm-hmm. but because the oppression from the society, the oppression from professors, the oppression from peers. Yeah. So it's like, it's just people need to understand in the West, and especially in the U.S., that it is hijab is a sign of diversity in the U.S., but it is not in other parts of the world. Yeah, and I think what you just said happens, and I've I've heard stories from women in the West, in the U.S., in Canada, that say they wore hijab for similar reasons. Like, if I don't wear it, my husband's going to shout at me, or my husband's going to be angry with me, my mother's going to curse me, my father's going to be upset with me, my friend's going to talk shit about me. You know, that kind of, like, social pressure that might make you wear this. And, and you know, I, you, you look at it, I'm, I'm looking at myself, I'm like, okay, as a seven-year-old, as a four-year-old, I wore this. How is that a choice comes with the community they were? And at this point, it's really hard to be aware of, am I really choosing this or am I putting on because I'm afraid of some social norms or some social pressures? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. Another thing I just wanted to add while we are talking about all, uh, you know, like these controversial topics is I don't think neither of us claims that we know if, is wearing hijab is right or wrong? Okay. Is wear hijab or don't wear hijab? Okay. The point here is I'm just against making this a topic that we cannot criticize or a topic that we cannot talk about or a topic that would be the moment you open your mouth and you say something that criticizes hijab or any other topics related to Islam, it will be labeled as Islam. Exactly. Might be a very typical thing to say, but there is a lot of criticizing to all the other religions in the U.S., to Judaism, to Christianity. One of my favorite shows, South Park, 
it's there's, there's a Jesus character there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So there is a lot of criticizing to other religions, but like that you don't call it phobia related to any one of those. Yes, yeah, exactly. I can criticize Christianity um, and say something like practice of um, celibacy among priests could result in corruption. But if I do that, nobody would call me bigot. Nobody says I'm Christianophobic. They might uh, want, they might ask me why. They might try to convince me otherwise. They might try to give me example to counter, to counter my arguments. But why should not be able to do the same thing about Islam? Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't be able to criticize it? And I think that's more important than like, oh, a woman wants to wear it or not wants to wear it in the end. That's their choice. If it's an actually mm -hmm. a choice, but um, we should be, able to criticize this and you know we, you know we, we live in america right freedom of yeah. speech freedom of religion and and free market right we, <laughs> we cherish all three all and i stuff. yeah and i'm looking at it and i'm like fine okay christians build mosques they they send their followers to do missions and advertise for themselves so muslims could build mosques they advertise hijab as part of it but yet i can i can criticize christians all i want but if I start touching um, Islam, I would be labeled. And that sounds dangerous to me. Mm -hmm. 100%, 100%, I agree with you about that. And uh, that is one of the reasons why uh, the U.S., in my opinion, and like, it's one of the great places to live in because we have freedom of speech. You can say, you can criticize, you can, you know, ask questions that you are you wouldn't ask in, in other places. And I think we all, we both agreed in our previous episodes as well that we benefited from this by coming to the U.S. I always say I learned critical thinking when I was 30 after I came to the U.S. So there's a lot of, uh, might sound controversial to use, but freedom of speech, in my opinion, it's an American value. It is. That and that, oh, well, yeah. you know, the word yeah. American value might offend some people, but in, <laughs> it's it's an it's an, a value that the U.S. have that we need to protect, and that it it guarantees that future generations will would be able to think, question, and also learn, and disagree, and just like yeah. still we live together. If I disagree yeah. with you, that doesn't mean we cannot be neighbors. Exactly. That's 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 the biggest, I think. The differences that I saw from the Middle East comparing to the U.S. in the Middle East, in a lot of countries, if if we disagree, you are my enemy. Yeah. But in the U.S., if we disagree, we just think differently and we move on with our lives. Yeah. And these type of topics and these type of discussions will keep this culture of like disagreeing and continuing with our life instead of disagreeing and becoming enemies. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to second your thought, it, this is how improve things, right? If you look at an idea, if you look at some problem with one mm -hmm. set of eyes, you'd always see the same thing. It's only from an outsider view, different side of view that you might look at something with a different angle. And there's always good things come out of looking with from different eyes. But disagreeing is that we find something better and we can improve our lives. You know, it comes in technology, comes in science, comes in philosophy and all different aspects of life. It's only with diversity that we can make things better. And to have this diversity, we need to be able to talk about it without labeling each other things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I and, and, and it's good probably to mention here that, you know, we know that 
when you talk about free speech, you also probably have to mention hate speech um, and say criticism is not equal to hate speech. We know there is there's there is some biases might be existing against Muslim people, but that should not apply to the Muslim ideology. We're not denying that, and we're saying that in a civilized manner we should be able to talk about this thing. We're not. This is not about attacking a Muslim. This is about criticizing Islam as an ideology. Well, thank thank you so much, Elnas, for sharing, and thank you for you know teaching me new things today about like about Iran about your experience I love our conversations because I think every time we talk we learn new things about each other and uh, hopefully our listeners are enjoying this and learning new things and different perspective about the Middle East outside of uh, you know the mainstream media and outside of Hollywood movies <laughs> yes. thank you for listening to us if you have a personal story you would like to share in this campaign The hashtag is Let Us Talk on Twitter. I hope you enjoyed the conversations and until next time.